Hello, Prasanji. Uh, welcome to Love Heals Cancer and Zanon Kadot Ayo. So, this is, cancer, this is a cancer healing journey talk where we invite speakers who have gone through the journey of cancer, maybe as a patient, as a caregiver, or as a survivor. And they tell their story to us so that others who are going through the similar journey get inspired from it. This not only helps them with the treatment, but also motivates and inspires them when they listen to others' journeys. So thank you for giving out your time for this. It's an honor to have you with us. So can you please start with a brief introduction about yourself and share us your journey as a caregiver? First, I would like to uh, thank you for approaching and uh, calling me into the Zoom meeting. I'm not a tech-savvy person at all. But just to reach to the others, I took the effort. Uh, my name is uh, Prasanna Shriya. I'm uh, basically a dentist and a neuroscientist. And I think uh, these two being the background helped me to understand the disease or the illness per se, as well as the mind. What would go in somebody's mind as well as my own mind. And with this, I would like to divide uh, my talk into two aspects. One is the diagnosis. So which means I was a caregiver for my father uh, who was 79 at that point. At 2019, December, he was diagnosed with uh, multiple myeloma. It's a type of bone marrow cancer. And uh, just prior to that, which means I would start my story from September, he was all fine, but we did find him the appetite. He didn't have appetite or the quantity of food that he was taking was drastically reducing. And he was a boxer. So I've always seen him with real good arms. And uh, the muscle was getting wasted. So whenever I used to ask about this, he said, uh, I'm not tired. So I'm fine, good at health. For a 79-year-old, I'm walking, I'm eating good food. Only thing, because of the age, the food intake has reduced. So he kept on uh, convincing me. Because my parents don't live with me. I live in about, say, uh, five kilometers distance from my house to uh, their house, from where they live. And uh, it was by November end, I found that something was drastically not wrong, right. He had mild giddiness and uh, nauseated feeling and uh, sort of diarrhea. So when, when you think of diarrhea, it will be initially only food poisoning. But for me, being again a doctor, I was always able to reflect back. 2017, he had a similar episode. So my mind rushed to that. It shouldn't be the same. It shouldn't be going to a renal, renal failure. So 2017, when he was discharged, they discharged with saying that he could have gone for a renal failure. You, you just saved. It was an Anika moment. And so this time we went to a different hospital. It was a doctor, a nephrologist, a specialist for kidney. And I think I should thank God what we say as an early diagnosis. Whether it helped the journey is secondary. So December and November end, 27th, we were in the hospital. By December 3rd, we had the diagnosis because of the good doctor's thinking. Because he was a nephrologist and he too thought, why should the kidney be affected like this? So he asked for the right test to be done, which was a bone marrow test. Not being done in his hospital, we had to get it done outside. And he gave a reference because he gave a reference. Things went faster because it was not a private uh, doctor who was doing it. It was not an independent uh, private practice. 
So we had to go to another hospital just to get this test alone. And uh, within two days, we had the diagnosis. It was multiple myeloma. And it was a root shock because my brother was in US. My mother was very much in Chennai. She had retired and she was still continuing with her own uh, job. And uh, I felt the best person who can take care of him would be me. So I brought him to my house because my mother being elderly herself, I knew she couldn't take care of him by herself in spite of even if they are going to have a servant or somebody exclusively for my dad, that part, no, it didn't, that reason didn't uh, work out well with me. I felt he would be best if he's under my care and I would be enough for him. And uh, then I told my brother and we quickly started looking out for the best. You always want to give the best and you always think what you're doing is the best in any journey for that matter, be it for your own child or when you get pregnant, or when you want to get married, you would, or when you're going for a job, you always want the best. So I talked to my dad's cousin. She was an anesthetist, a retired anesthetist. So she helped me with a WhatsApp text of an oncologist who is a specialist, but from Madurai. So he's not from Chennai. So it's either we need to travel or I need to think, how am I going to bring this person here? And again, it was like a matter of from the time I connected with him, which was December 3rd, by December 7th, he said, I'm going to be in Chennai because there's a hospital in Chennai which wants me as a consultant. I really felt it was a divine intervention. So I wasted no time. And uh, December 7th was my dad's birthday. And it's the first time you're going to meet the oncologist. And my dad, he had a sort of memory issues. Now to look back, no, I really don't know whether it was some neurological condition which went undiagnosed or it was this presenting illness which had its manifestations on other areas and organs like memory. So he was a wheelchair bound, which he was never in all these years. He would always want to walk and never want to be taken care of. That was his primary concern. I don't want to be taken care of till my last so I know his ego will hurt and me being his daughter, no, he wouldn't mind. So he wouldn't want an attender to be pushing it for which he would say, I would walk. So I always gave him his space, his thought, his ideas and his views. And I would go by that. So this is like a small child. No, you take them to the shop. You would not say to the child, I will buy this for you. But you give the child the choice what he wants to buy. So he was very comfortable with me. And the first thing he told us, thanks for taking me under your wings. Your mother could not have done this, considering her age. And physically, she's, she's not fit to do what you're doing. Yes. And the first day when the doctor saw, he couldn't believe that my dad could be a patient. From the way he spoke, everything, just that he was wheel bound. And uh, the doctor uh, checked his spine. I think apparently that would be the first bone that takes a major toll. And my dad said, I don't have any pain at all. So his only symptom was his gum. Me being a dentist, I understood. Uh, he had a swelling of the gum. So that is one of the tell signs of this particular uh, disease, illness. You wouldn't cough out blood or you wouldn't appetite loss. Nothing would happen immediately. That would happen eventually. And uh, the doctor said the next visit, which is in January, I would want to see you walk. And my dad said, I take this as a challenge. Next time when I come, I'm going to walk. And he did it. By uh, January 11th was the next visit. By then, my brother was here. 
So my dad was very happy to see the family. I have an elder brother. So my mother, brother, and my I have a son who's, uh, who was 20, 21 then. So the, the family was back then, before the COVID was setting in. We were getting the news of COVID by December 10th. We were following it. But uh, we never thought of a lockdown or something like that. The only dream of my dad was to visit the Holy Land. We are basically Hindus, but uh, he was educated in uh, Lawrence Lovedale Uti. So he wanted to visit uh, the uh, Holy Land, Israel, and uh, to walk. He said, I would walk, I would want to walk on the roads where Jesus walked. That was his only wish. And that became uh, an obsession for me, you know, like somehow I'll have to make, I have to get it done. So the first thing what I did in uh, September 2019, I got the passport renewed because 2020 Jan, his passport was expiring. I said, okay, one is done. Which again, I took it as God's intervention because this happened in September 2019 and only December we diagnosed it of the same year that he had cancer. And I started talking to the doctor in terms of, can he travel? And the doctor said, yes. So my mind would always go, no, what is next? What is next? What is now? It would try to allocate, which means I never confused myself, but I compartmentalized myself. Be it his food, priority of what is important now, what I could do now, which will help me for tomorrow or day after. I was never panicked. I was never anxious about anything. And uh, my dad was observing me. So, which is why he said I'm very comfortable. And every day I would read him one page of where would we be going in May 2020, which is the Holy Land. Because I wanted him to look forward to something to hold on. For him not to feel that he has an illness. And I would say he's such a positive person. He never thought. Till the end, he never thought that he would pass off. And he was actually looking forward for 2020. And I would say that's when COVID struck at least in India, by March. And my mother made the, not the wise decision, she left to Kodakanal. She wanted to clean the house, either to take him there, to give a better uh, atmosphere, and to get the house ready for her uncle and aunt who wanted to visit by May. So her agenda were two, having her husband in mind and having her uncle and aunt who raised her when she was a child. But the COVID was not there then. When she had gone there, she couldn't come back because it was a nationwide lockdown and uh, she couldn't uh, move. So it was just me becoming the primary caregiver. Even otherwise, I was. But I would have what you call as psychologically, you would feel you know, your mother's there in the same state. There are people there whom you could call for some support or something. But that was dwindling. And I realized, okay, I'm going to be the in total, the primary caregiver. So I had to take care of his mood swings, his food, if there could be a pain, because multiple myeloma is supposed to be one of the most painful bone uh, cancer. But touch wood, either my dad had a exceptionally good pain threshold. We started having a pain issue just once, which was towards March and April end, never before. And even for that, no, I had to be guarded, meaning when there's a nationwide lockdown, how am I going to travel? If he's going to get a pain, how am I going to consult? There was no telemedicine at that point. And I was thinking of it. So should I uh, ask for an ambulance? 
but as i said no i would say when your thoughts are clear when you are not clouded they say you know the help will come in its way so i had a dcp who became a friend because he he belonged to this area and i volunteered for a solid waste management group so i be, i acquainted with him because of that he sorted our help because uh, the public shouldn't come out i live near a beach so just look no it was a mutual help that one i thought i could ask him how am i to travel if my father has to go to this hospital which is about 25 kilometers from where i live he said no worries you ask for an ambulance if you go in your private car you will definitely be held you will not be allowed they are not going to understand your issues but if you take a ambulance none of the ambulances are stopped so at least i i had the clarity you know that the mind was clear so i could think of many things which i would see it as eventually if this happens so i was also prepared for what if this happened and my daily chores so every day we would have meal together all three meals and every day we would joke and every day he would try to say something from his life when he was small most of the fragmented memories because what you see now he will not remember what you call as as the immediate memory no yeah what happens now he wouldn't remember but he had a very good recollection of retro his past as a child so he would talk a lot about his mother and uh, to my brother and to my mother he would say she's taking care of me as my mother would take care of me so i knew he was also mentally becoming like a child and he was also realizing that he was becoming a child and his physical health to me will be very minimal so i would be i should say i was amazed so this was a mutual thing where you don't sit and talk about negativity oh you have this illness oh i have this illness it was more like okay you have it okay i have it what am i supposed to do to help you prasanna that's my name what am i supposed to do to help you that so when two of us are a partner in this it becomes the journey becomes i would say more of a pleasurable journey than you say a struggle hardship grief i wouldn't say any of this it's just that uh, emotionally i became drained because i wanted my mother and my brother to be here not just as a moral support when you start doing things for god you don't see god but every day you do puja but don't you feel good inside in your heart yeah you're never going to see the god but you feel so much of happiness that's what was what i had when i did for him and i wanted my mother and my brother to have the same and i cried because they're not going to have it so at that point i cried not for myself but they are missing something from their life which they will eventually what do you call as guilt mode which will uh, never heal for them they'll never be able to heal because they were not there to do their part and that hurt me a lot but other than that it was an excellent journey and uh, treatment i would say i had to change the doctor which again everything was left to me my brother and my mother they gave me full autonomy you can do what you want my father gave it from day one so it was additional burden and you will have to also have to do it right and how will you do it right unless you take care of yourself so as a primary caregiver i can't say i didn't have time at all i had all the time in the world which means i would eat first i would get up early i'll finish my meditation and my yoga and my asanas so that my day goes on well with all my bones i need to be flexible no i can't be rigid then i would have my breakfast very early by 7:30 i'll finish my breakfast 
I'll wake up my dad only by 7.30. So if I start waking him up by 7.30, by 8 o'clock, by 8.30, he would come out, come out for his breakfast. He'll finish his uh, bathing, everything. He'll come out. And he'll ask me, okay, what's the venue for today? So there are good days when he's really looking forward to eat. There are bad days he'll say, I don't want to get up today. But for me, you know, the medicines are more important. So I'll tell him, it's just for the medicine. I don't want Anantakrishnan to eat. But I want Anantakrishnan to eat just for the medicines. You can't take them in your empty stomach. So you try to reason out, make them a part of, like it's, in fact, he's going to help me to help himself. Rather than, you're going to help yourself. If you're going to say, you know, you're going to do it for yourself. Then they wouldn't want to do it. But if you're going to say, you're going to help me. I'm carrying a suitcase. Can you give me a helping hand? So it's like, he will definitely help. But here, he's the suitcase. And he helped me in carrying him in, a, in the most pleasant way, which I don't think anybody could have done. And uh, we had our rough patches also. Uh, he would cut the vegetables to keep himself occupied. No? He'll have to cut the vegetables into smaller pieces. So he would help me in my garden. He would say, I can't be watching TV 24-7. That's a lockdown, you say. I can't go out. You're not allowing me to go to the beach. So the friction started because of the COVID and not otherwise. I would say if the COVID was not there, my dad would still be here with me. Uh, he didn't die of COVID, but uh, he died of what you call uh, being abandoned. Like nobody there, finally. I want to see my son, I'm not able to see. I want to see my wife, I can't see. I see only you. So he started seeing me as a warden, as a teacher, as a mother, which means one person playing multiple roles. And you need to be effectively understanding the person as to what he's seeing me at this point. So if he's going to see me as a warden, I need to either quickly change my costume and come as a daughter or as a mother, the more what he wants me, which means I shouldn't force him into anything. Leave him to do what he wants. So all through the day, no, it'll be fine. It's only during the night time. I, I would want to wind up by 8.30 because I need to get up and be ready for the next day. I'm the only one taking care. We didn't have any uh, servants, no maids, no attenders, no nurses, nothing. Just single person, but doing all the work. And uh, he would say, no, I'll go to sleep only by 9.30. <laughs> so I'll say, no, it stops at 8.30. So the friction will be, you know, only in that point, it'll be pretty bad. Right now I'm smiling, but at that point, no, I need to be innovative. And... Uh, Later, I noticed he had this nocturnal walking. See, just imagine the whole house is dark and he walks. And he's prone for fracture because it's a bone marrow cancer. And he's not aware of it. So every day he'll ask me, what do I have? I'll say bone marrow cancer. Okay. But he'll forget. He'll not know what it is. But every day, night, by 12 o'clock, from 12 to 1, he'll start walking inside. And he would even eat. So for me, these, no... Became, I became hypervigilant in this. I don't know whether it was right or wrong, what I did at that point. But I would say eventually the uh, what not to have happened did happen. I got up to prevent him from fall. He used to get annoyed. Why are you getting up? See, I'm walking pretty well in the moonlight. I would say in the moonlight which comes through the window... It's not uh, possible for a 79-year-old. I said 48 and I can't see. I don't have visibility. 
How are you able to walk? It's like a blind person who's very comfortable walking inside his house because he knows what is what and where is where. So I wouldn't knock the door, but it was difficult for me to get convinced. And since he was eating in the night, I didn't know how to prevent that. I don't know what he would eat because he still not got the complete cognition. I wouldn't know what he would eat. So I would what I would do by eight thirty before I go to bed. I would keep all blocks my sofa, my entire sofa set, my furniture. My kitchen hasn't got a door; it's an open kitchen. So I would keep it as a block. Just imagine, you know, you'll say, "Okay, this is like a Mahabharat war. You're trying to keep your chakra view. See what I do? I can even jump over it." I say, "Oh my God! I don't want you to be jumping over it because they are so fast; they're not hard surfaces. The possibility of seventy-nine year falling is more." So I used to keep the sofas inside and the chairs out. Whatever it is, I know that he hasn't got the capacity to move those and to make his way through. So we had the what do you say a good moment even in the most bitterest of uh, moment. And he'll say every day he would go down for a walk. Within we live in a flat, so it's little spacious. I would make him wear a mask. He doesn't like wearing a mask. He said COVID will not come for me. I said how do you know? He says, "I know, <laughs> I'm pretty strong, but to get all those to him, no, it was difficult. And uh, there's a wooden gate through which a small, I mean, you can peep through. And he'll say, 'I saw the ice cream man today.' It's like as though he saw his girlfriend. I became scared, so I would go to the security and I'll tell them, 'Brothers, ensure my father doesn't step out of the flat.' So one day he tried to sneak out, and they caught him." Your daughter is told not to go. That's it. So he came up and he said, "Ah, the securities have been instructed. They said I'm not supposed to go out." I said, "Yes, the police have asked none of the residents to step out. No, but they told me that uh, you asked them. <laughs> you have ordered them me not to step out. And I had to come up with all innovative stories for them. But apart from that, as I said, no, <clears throat> the journey was still fine, but." i think the illness is also growing within him i had to change multiple hospitals so finally i came to apollo cancer hospital and uh, the oncologist was very nice and uh, they would be even open to discussion of you want respite care because you've been taking care of him since 2019 november end it is almost 8 to 9 months we see you burnt out so you need to think of options of having him in a palliative care so that's the first time i even started searching though in march i searched but i was not sure whether the palliative care would take a person in during the covid time and i would say that one month no he and i had our recovery time so he stopped eating by may end it was complete uh, liquid diet that i kept him in the month of june 26th even that was dwindling apart from his saliva he can't take anything it would choke and he would ask me why am i choking why am i not able to take anything even the liquid why am i not able to take so i knew the end was nearing but i didn't have the strength or the courage to see him pass because it's like i have fought my way not struggle <clears throat> to keep him alive and i know as a doctor he's not going to make it i wanted people around me and i know that i have none and that's when i think 
thought palliative care will be the best. And again, it was divine intervention and my clarity of thought. I got one which is hardly five kilometers from where I live. So even if it is a lockdown, I know I could still walk it up to the palliative care to see him. You're not supposed to take a two-wheeler, four-wheeler. I could cycle it or I could walk. The police can't stop it. And the change that happened from June 26th, he started eating. So he said, I like all these nurses. Then I felt, okay, he wanted a change in an environment. So he started eating solid food. He started having his holics. And there were three other inmates. We had to just do a COVID test before we admitted him. And uh, before we could go in there, his last words to me was, I don't know what's happening around me. Uh, you've taken good care. And right now I know you're pretty tired and you're not able to. And that's why you're admitting me somewhere in a hospital. I will just do what you want me to do with no questions asked. So look at the amount of trust more. So when someone trusts you so much, you become extra vigilant. You want to do more right and you'll get the extra strength only at that point. When somebody has more trust in you, you want to do your job more correctly. So I think uh, the hospice where I admitted him did the final perfectly. And uh, July 24th, that's when he passed away. I thank God because I was there with him that night. I took permission. Uh, every day we go and meet, my son and myself. And uh, things became difficult at the palliative care after two weeks, no? which means July 19th, he stopped eating. So I knew it was the second chance and the second time. And uh, I was looking towards the end. I do. I didn't know when it would be. And uh, on 24th June, I July, I requested uh, the doctor who runs the uh, palliative care. Can I stay tonight? What do you think his status is? He says his text reply where uh, you can stay there tonight. You know how a state it is from what you see. So the sisters were very confident. Ma'am, people who come and admit here are of two categories. One, people who don't want to see them die. Two, people do, who don't know what to do with them anymore. So it's not your dad's day. He still has time. I said, uh, I wish what you say happens. But heart of heart, I knew it's not going to. So I called my brother. Never had it occurred to me in all the while when I had visited my dad that I had to call my brother. On that day, you know, I made a video call and my brother spoke. So my brother has a closure. My son spoke and I told my son, don't lock the house. You sleep, don't, meaning don't bolt it. Lock it with the lock and key and take the key with you. Because I know it's going to be tonight and I might have to come within, not alive, otherwise <clears throat> back home. When I slept, it was about 10.30 because the sister said, uh, because you hanging around, he's keeping awake. It's his night time. He has to sleep. Whereas I didn't want to say no to them. I need to stay with him because I knew there were signs that uh, the life was leaving him in stages and I saw it leave in stages. So it was a cardiac failure and uh, he wanted to use the restroom. So if it was somebody who was not aware, no, even at that point, he would have passed his urine on the bed. So he was so aware, he was so conscious. We had to literally support him and take him. So he finished his uh, urinal, 
we came out he just collapsed and we put him in the bed the sisters got the monitoring uh, system everything they said everything is normal man i can feel his pulse everything is normal but we don't know what's happening i'll call the duty doctor but i sat by his side i couldn't take him to the holy land but uh, one of the church fathers had gifted me the diary it's a daily diary where you'll have small parables or stories so i started reading he made me sit by his side rub his chest like a small child would no and uh, stroke his head so i did everything that he asked for and uh, he had the most beautiful smile which means he's very content and he was willing to go and he had this gurgle <clears throat> in his uh, throat at that point i didn't know what it was it was not irritating him and i said is it irritating he said it's not but i can't speak any he stopped speaking too it's only gestures with which i understood what he was trying to say and i would even interpret it to my brother as to what he's trying to say and uh, there were certain wishes each of the family member wanted me to do it and uh, first being my dad so i did whatever he wanted me to and by 10:30 i went to bed by 10:45 uh, or 11 i was woken up they said ma'am if you speak to him we can revive him back but i knew it's not possible and i didn't want them to do any defibrillator using the fibrillator or anything i don't want any pain so my brother wanted him to chant the word om and to keep stroking over here no doing rubbing in us uh, we believe we hindus we believe in certain systems of our spiritual thing so whether i believed or not i did this for my brother my mother couldn't uh she spoke to him but she's not a tech savvy so it was not a whatsapp call it was only a audio call so she hasn't got the closure because before she could come from kodaikanal i finished the last rites so i would say he gave me uh the entire duty of taking care of him when he was alive so i wanted to give him the same respect when he passed away i didn't want to keep him for a week's time or even a day beyond that he's been diseased no like he had cancer with him so i don't know how his body would change for the disease that he had so i wanted him to be the way he was when i did the last rites we cremate so that was uh, something again i would say everywhere i had god's intervention so no pain uh, yes i had the bereavement i had anger everything at that point because my brother was not there my mother was not there people were not understanding what i was trying to say but again intervention helped me and i joined the uh, pallium india palliative course which healed me from uh, 20 20 september till 2021 may my course finished by then and i had all my answers so you will ask yourself did i do it right should i have done more did i miss out something all my questions were answered i don't think i could have done beyond what i had done so for me you know it's a perfect complete closure uh, a single person who helped me in raise my child he was more a mother than a grandfather i would always tell him i'm scared he's going to call you amma and he's going to call me nani and grandmother <laughs> and uh, he said you're jealous no that your son is going to call me as a <laughs> mom and not you <laughs> so for me no it's gratitude 
God gave me an opportunity to do back to the person who stood by me. He was the only person, nobody else, not even uh, my husband. I would not include anybody else in this, but just my father. He would travel every day for about uh, 13 to 40 kilometers in bike just to take him out and to introduce him to trees, to uh, kith and kin of his own age, to play in the park, to talk to old people. So everything what my son had as an early education before even going to a primary school or anything you call it is from my dad, not even me. I came second. My son came through me, that's all. But my mother, my father played the mother's role, the surrogate mother, no? He played the <clears throat> actual mother's role till my son was about, say, five years old. And uh, God gave me just nine months to do for my dad for that. And I thank God for giving me the opportunity to do back to the person who stood by me. So as a primary caregiver, one should know to take care of themselves, to serve the person whom you are serving. Then it will not be uh, a situation where you think, when is this going to end? Every day you look forward. Every day you want, it'll, 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 it's not a battle. It's a journey. It's not a struggle. It's just life for that day. And I think COVID has taught us in, in the most best way. Today I sleep. I don't know whether I'll get up tomorrow. So I would say it's the same equation, just that he had cancer. My journey finished in uh, the, 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 the most pleasant way. Only thing I, I do miss him, but uh, I don't get taunt or haunted by uh, by the, those uh, things anymore. So if one knows to take care, one knows to self-heal, I would say primary caregiving is the best journey anybody can do and everybody can do. You needn't have a medical knowledge. You need to be in tune with the person whom you are attending to, to their emotions, to their mood swings, to their wants, because it's ultimately you're taking care of somebody. With that, I would finish. I think you beautifully handled the journey of taking care of your father. And the best thing is that you had planned out everything in a very systematic way. And you were prepared for anything that could happen during his treatment. So that is very important to keep in mind. Just I would ask that what was the line of treatment that he underwent after he was diagnosed? Uh, for him, they said because it's being multiple myeloma, there's no chemotherapy. Normally, when you say the word cancer, there's a word chemo added to it. But I never go beyond of exploring what I need to know. So I only understood about multiple myeloma. I never understood the chemotherapy. So he would be given monthly once one IV injection for one one hour. And otherwise, uh, weekly, he would have his medications, which are just in the tablet form, and one steroid weekly once. So I would go fetch the nurse. She would come and administer the, uh, uh, the steroid alone. And uh, as I said, when it started progressing, and I couldn't get the right help from the doctor who was himself got held up in Madurai. He couldn't be the consultant anymore. I was switching hospitals. So he did take up radiotherapy, which I felt it needn't have happened at all. So this is where sometimes, you know, the doctors tend to be overzealous. 
so i don't know i am me being a doctor myself i don't know whether they do it for the hospital sake or whether it had to be done if i were in that position i would not have subjected this particular patient for a radiotherapy for 19 days when he couldn't even walk and we had to travel about 13 kilometers so that was absolute waste which we did from uh, april 26 till march 19 uh, may 19 see how much it had spread it was only a 10 but we couldn't do it in the 10 days because there were good days and bad days you know so if i were the doctor if i was the oncologist i would not have asked this patient to come for a considering his age considering the extent of the disease i would not have asked him to come for a radiotherapy so it was only these medications so when i went to apollo the oncologist looked at the previous medication which was given by the first oncologist he said it's perfect nothing more to do he needs only palliative care so we need to know at what stage of the cancer we are in we can't be too uh, ambitious you can be overzealous in taking care of the patient but not by saying that you would want them to live eternally that's not going to happen so if it is stage 1 stage 2 maybe it is good but this particular bone marrow cancer of multiple myeloma there are no stage and considering his age he is barred from certain like you can't do a blood transfusion or a full therapy like that if you are younger patient if you had been in your 30s 40s you could do it so i think as you said no i was aware of certain things i was aware of certain facts and when you know 2 plus 2 is 4 you can't expect 5 then your calculation is wrong so i was uh, uh, very grounded in my uh, belief and in my ambition or in my uh, expectations so there's no treatment per se each it would differ from uh, each doctor so i'm being very specific for multiple myeloma because though it's a bone marrow cancer it hits the kidney so when you you, you what do you want to work with <laughs> it's a bone marrow cancer it's going to hit the kidney so i'll have to see his creatinine and uh, urea levels every time i have to see his uh, blood uh, what do you say uh, hemoglobin level rbc level and his wbc and calcium it will deplete the calcium so you'll have to also given calcium medication in the form of a tablet so it was like something is being removed and you're giving something to it will it work i don't know <laughs> so we really don't know what we are especially cancer no uh this treatment has no cure multiple myeloma has no cure for his age it's more of palliative from the time it's been diagnosed so which i understood later on and uh, when he passed away my anesthetist aunt said your dad is so blessed that you were there with him otherwise he would not have made even this eight months it would have taken him much earlier so you gave him a very pleasant passing away which was painless so again so she gave me another closure so there's no specific treatment yeah i think it's all about the care and the emotional exactly. support that you were there exactly exactly yeah. because he was even prepared to go to the uh, what do i say if the lockdown was not there we would have even gone to jerusalem because i would have learned to give those one injection 
on we would have even planned the iv after this return because it was just a seven day or a nine day trip. so we were very uh, positive about our thing but not uh, overconfident at the same time we wouldn't say like what people are doing during the covid i would not get covid or i wouldn't wear the mask so we did the protocol we did what is to be done and we as you said rightly we addressed his emotions his well being only when he is going to be well can the primary care giver can be well if he is going to be in pain you are going to be in pain and you are never going to understand why the other person is pain so if you are going to understand the other person's emotion as a whole holistic understanding and everything becomes a child's play in primary care beat any cancer they need to talk they want someone to listen to so you allocate time for everything the time can't be as we say you know now it's math class now it's chemistry class when they want it i would want to talk so you leave all the other work which could have been your primary at that point because he wants to talk leave it i used to sit and watch all the tamil serial from morning 9 o'clock until 8 o'clock and just see you know the amount of time that one needs to give you give that sort of a quality time no? it's more than that. more than the medicine more than the medicine i agree 100% to what you have said the emotional care so uh, when you gave him the medicines that he was prescribed by the doctor uh, did he have any side effects of those medicines and if he had what kind of uh, care or dietary changes or anything that you gave to handle that side effect mm-hmm. side effects uh, i would say uh, <clears throat> maybe sometimes appetite loss so if i'm going to that's where i i would say i was more uh, more like a teacher see i need to give you this medicine for which you need to have a breakfast but he wouldn't say i'm not i'm not hungry so for me no i then i can't give the medicine so it is again like what you asked the side effect would be i'm not hungry so i would i have to wait for some time give him the food when he asks for or change the, the form of the food i don't want it solid give me semi solid give me in a liquid form i could have multiple say a milk or a combination of a liquid diet so that is one and uh, never force and never force feed they say i don't want to take a feed they don't want it they mean what they say there's no point in being uh, as i did I, I you need to have the medicine so you need to eat but that is not going to work so these are the wrongs that i did thinking it was the right side effects uh, i would say the disease per se the medication per se both will have it is the will of the person and my dad had tremendous will so i would still say it is minimized because all his vitals no even when he fainted the last minute when he had the cardiac failure his vitals were still fine the sisters couldn't believe it and he didn't pass off at that time after that he made me stroke he made me stroke his hair so i wouldn't say uh, you will have to be sensitive which means it it's case by case if the caregiver is very sensitive enough to note i gave this diet in the morning afternoon and diet what has caused the sequence of error and if they are able to talk to the uh, oncologist 
I observe these changes. Is it due to the medication? And what would be the remedy? Be it a heartburn like gastritis or a diarrhea. But my father had none. He didn't have loss of appetite, which could be because of the cancer, which could be because of the medication. So you need to wait and watch. And as I said, it's from case to case, no, it would differ. But the primary caregiver has to be so much so sensitive to observe as to what was the diet that I changed that caused this. Or every day, it shouldn't be the same diet. Give them what they want. And in a, in a more palatable manner that they can take. Semi. So I don't want to chew. That's more than enough. Actually, wonderfully explained and uh, the whole journey, especially how you handled it emotionally as well. Uh, so, lastly, being the primary caregiver, what would be your parting message to everyone out there who is taking care of a cancer patient? Yeah, so first I would say you need to be sensitive about your own self, how much you can do, set your boundaries. I didn't set boundaries because I know I can stretch for two reasons. One, that's my father. Two, I'm a doctor. So he's beyond my father. He's a patient. Whereas for the rest of the primary caregivers, I would say set boundaries. Don't stretch yourself. Two, first take care of yourself. Unless you take care of yourself, you can't serve anybody. Three, mind your own moods, your mood swings. And then you'll be able to address the other person's sensitivity. If you're not going to have a check on your own uh, mood and mood swings, then it's going to be very, very tough. Which means you need to eat, you need to sleep. If these two things are taken care for a primary caregiver, it's more than enough. They'll be like an engine, no? like, like your generator. They can keep running. The, the diesel is sleep and the diesel is food. And those two are going in What's your difficulty in taking care? You're just taking care. You're not going to taking care means you're not going to carry them. You're only going to care for them. So a burden becomes a burden, physical or emotional, only when you're stretching beyond yourself. So if you're able to take care of your mood swings and your sleep and your food, primary care, it's just like day to day. I think our mother does it. From the time the child is born till the child says, okay, I've got my wings, I'm going to go. So I would say mother is a primary caregiver. Only thing, the, the person is growing in stages. So we don't feel it as a burden or burdened. So see the, the patient as, not as a patient, as a human, as a whole. And get connected with it as much as you are. You are a human. So value their autonomy. They are a human. Then you work in parallel. That's it. That's actually very helpful. And these points make a lot of sense. And uh, it will help the cancer givers understand their own, uh, you know, to keep themselves healthy and mentally fit while they take care of the patient. So I think uh, that was wonderfully explained. So thank you so much, Prasanji, for joining with me today and uh, sharing your journey with us. Thank you. If people are doing into yoga and other things, I would ask them to go ahead with it. But let them not start something new as yoga. Because again, they're going to only yeah. get irritated. Mm -hmm. Instead, if they're going to come to seclusion, it's your time, your space, which means you're not giving it to anybody. 
Ten minutes, you just close your eyes. It's more than enough. You will rejuvenate yourself. Thanks a lot for giving me this opportunity. Thank you.